are competing in. We are repeating in. We are believing in. It's time for us to shift our mind from best in the world to best for the world. Make decisions intentional. To take decisions intentional. Making decisions intentional. Making decisions intentional. To take decisions intentional. Making decisions intentional. It creates a new world to mind a shift. Intentionality. Perceptuality. Conceptuality. We are choosing to shift our mind. To best for the world. Best for our world. Make decisions intentional. Take decisions intentional, making decisions intentional. Make decisions intentional, to take decisions intentional, making decisions intentional. Welcome to episode four of Feeder and uh, in this program, we're actually exploring life in itself and the fundamental assumptions that we hold about life and how suitable that today's topic is fundamental assumptions. Uh, my name is Jens Rennelt and with me in the studio, Stellan Nordal. Welcome, Stellan. Thank you very much. And um, it's good to uh, to actually that we come to this, this far in this, uh, in this program. And uh, fundamental assumptions is something that I'm, I'm quite eager to explore uh, because I guess that it's first when you realize that, that you make assumptions about the world that you can actually change them. Mm. So uh, for me, this is a very interesting topic. And I would say hopefully we will touch upon a lot of things that are very close to what we call uh, ourselves, what we call our organizations, what we call our society and what we call our world. So uh, the fundamental assumptions, as I see it, uh, the sum of them is the worldview we have. So um, that's how I'm thinking of it, at least. And it will be, um, yeah, I'm like looking forward to, to look into this uh, topic. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And um, if you have listened to, to the previous episodes where we talked about the tree metaphor and, uh, and the idea, intentional, the ID model, the intentional decisions model in itself, we also have seen that one of the fundamental assumptions there already is choice. So that's the fundamental assumption that this whole model is actually building upon is that we always have a choice. So we can say that, that this is at least one of the assumptions that, that we see. And uh, yeah, I think you already dived straight into the topic. Mm -hmm. uh, how we create our worldview is by the collective assumptions that we hold. And I think you also touched here, touch upon a, a, an aspect that, that you need to have a certain awareness level. There's certain, because you said... When you realize that you make assumptions, you also realize that you can choose them. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on, on this? Yeah, uh, definitely. And you can always think of, do I choose? At some level, there is a choice. Uh, but I don't think that most people 
see it that 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 way and uh, i believe uh, there is a very interesting word or concept here uh, which i would like to introduce and that is something called the continuum concept uh, the continuum concept was uh, uh, coined by a woman called uh, yeah, a researcher called Lidloff in yeah now it's like in the i think it was already in the 80s she studied um, indigenous people and um, she came up with this idea or concept or whatever we call it the continuum concept as a way of describing uh, worldview or values or whatever we can call it so uh, what she found out was that in the first part of life uh, we more or less got it by the breast milk and then in the second part of life we more or less attracted those events and exp uh, experiences that uh, uh, show that this was true for us and in the third part of life uh, we do we do everything to to um, uh, how can I say defend that worldview? Um, that is what she called the continuum concept, which for an indigenous people was maybe what actually kept the whole world going. Uh, as the elderly was seen as the wise, and very often the leader of the tribe or was maybe um, someone who was in in their maybe productive age, but the the wisdom was in the elderly. So even if the the operational things that were done um, were made by younger people. The strategic decisions or, or um, um, those affecting the long-term perspective were done by the elderly. So um, I would say the continued concept is something that is quite interesting to, to think of when we talk about having a choice of a, a, or choosing a new assumption. Mm. What's the stage in, in where you explore new worldviews? Yeah. Is there something uh, said in this research as well? Because it seems like whatever worldview you're brought up with, whatever worldview you are accustomed to, it is more like that you're, as, as you explicitly say it, said it, you reinforce the experiences and you reinforce the um, beliefs that uh, in, in the end basically defend your own worldview. So I'm, what I'm thinking of is like, when is there a way of, of stepping behind our worldview or, you know, trying mm. to find a way of um, challenging our assumptions or trying to explore, like, is this really true? Mm. I would say one thing is when there is some kind of a uh, big event in, in someone's life, uh, a trauma more or less. Uh, then you maybe question your life or your lifestyle or your choices you have made, um, the situation that you're in, the circumstances that have been um, part of your life for a long time and so on. So um, when I meet people, very often this is what I've triggered the idea of, of choosing a new assumption. Maybe if it's not put in that, that words, but maybe uh, that is actually what is happening. Um, Let's say that you uh, all of a sudden became a parent, maybe in a, in a situation where you didn't believe that that was the way forward. Uh, I wouldn't say it being a parent is a trauma, but it's a huge event. Another one could be that you have been in a working situation for many years and you found yourself um, more or less exhausted by, by the whole thing. And you came to a, a point where yeah, you have to do something very different and dramatic different to what have been before 
maybe when you're in a divorce, maybe when you are um, facing close uh, death in, in, in close to your yourself uh, in in the family or in in with very good friends and so on. That is often when people, I wouldn't say reflect, because that, that's not the first thing that happens. It's more like a you can call it almost a trauma, even if, again, not being a parent is a trauma, uh, in most cases, it was. but again, um, a big event causing a, um, uh, I wouldn't say situation, but almost a situation where you question yourself. Yeah, a very strong emotional response, I would say. Mm. And uh, you're absolutely right. Normally we assume this is a trauma, but I, I, I think I would like to point out that you can also have a very you know, joyful experience, a very blissful state uh, and a very um, happy, uh, strong emotional experience. I think in, in that way, uh, you could also, um, yeah, reflect on, on if some of the assumptions that you hold are true. Um, I'm thinking of an example here of, of, of my own and uh, <laughs> I think it's a, uh, it, it it points to something else that that it's for us at least for me it is sometimes challenging to to focus on on the you know on the good things that are happening in life maybe this is also an assumption that that i uh, and other people can can challenge or you know mm. is it what am i looking for when if we look at the situation am, am i looking at what is working and then can I amplify this or can I look at something and, and see what is not working and, and basically point out, but this is not working and mm. uh, what do I do or what do I bring again to this situation with yeah, this what, perspective? What, what you're talking about here is actually the continuum can concept in a very short time period. So you get some kind of an amplification of whatever choice you do. Um, very often I, I talk about uh, where you steer your focus. So what you focus on will grow and you're actually nourishing it so by putting a focus on it so of course this is a very large interest here where do we choose to put a focus on and um but i also believe that a lot of those uh, you and i we call them fundamental assumptions uh, we can call it truths or, or whatever we put into it beliefs um, at some level all of those beliefs are false beliefs which is very interesting in itself i i, I would say because they are both enabling us to do stuff or think of things or see stuff, but they're also limiting us. And for instance, in the Western world, we have been told, at least I was in school, that I have to see it to believe it. Hmm. But what happens is that it's maybe the other way around. I have to believe it to be able to see it. And this is when... when when you realize that my belief system is what is actually creating the world no more no less hmm. and i think that that's also what i heard from from your first sentence is that we re make experiences that reinforce our belief system but it's like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy right the belief systems that i have or the assumptions that i have this is what is mirrored back to me when I engage with the world, when I meet other people. Um, and in that way, I could be believing that this is the experiences that I make. But if I 
then step back and uh, look at it from a different perspective, then I can realize maybe a different interpretation of the situation was possible. Mm. And uh, I have actually found a very nice description um, from uh, a guy called Robert Keegan. He's, uh, I think, Harvard professor, uh, uh, developmental constructivist, and he's basically writing about the evolving self, evolving consciousness. And what he's, the description I like from him is when he says, we evolve when, when we understand something or when, when this particular thing, let's call it from belief system or belief for a moment, is no longer holding us, but we hold it. So we can actually uh, step behind it look at it and see what it does to us and and then it is not having our the grip on us anymore and and we are i guess unconsciously uh, driven by it but we can then step behind it and choose how do i would like to deal with this mm. and i find this a very helpful uh, visualization yeah, yeah it is and that goes actually back then to to the one of the really fundamental assumptions, uh, and that is, is life happening to us or are we creating it? And uh, I mean, the story uh, right now for the listeners on, on SoundCloud or uh, on, on the podcast, right? Uh, or wherever they are on podcast, or they can't see right now where you're sitting, but you're sitting in, in my library. And for those who are following us on, on YouTube, you have probably seen that behind, uh, behind you, Jens, is a book called The Genes. Uh, and, and, and that is interesting because we more or less have been told that the genes control our life. It's the selfish gene, uh, which is actually reproducing itself. And its uh, main purpose is in life is to, to reinforce itself. So, so don't tell me that, that if, if the genes are changeable, then, then uh, nothing is static anymore. The last thing I was hoping for is the biological <laughs> evolution. The biological evolution. Yeah, but you can still have the biological evolution, but maybe you have to add something on it. Mm -hmm. And that was a topic that was added, I don't know how many years now, but at least 10, 15 years ago um, with uh, um, epigenetics, uh, the area of... of uh, above genes, epi means above, so epigenetics means above genes. And the reason behind this coming up as a, as a research area or research interest was that um, when we made this big Hugo uh, project in the world, the human genome project where you categorized all the genome, um, we believe that this will be the answer to everything in our lives. The thing was that there were three more uh, three times more um, expressions of genes than there were genes. <laughs> so it needed something else also. So the genes were not the only description. Uh, that what was realized back then. And epigenetics is actually connecting the genes to our, we can call it inner environment, if, if that's the, um, I don't know if that's a good expression, but uh, our belief system, uh, more or less. So... Um, Back then, this was very odd. Uh, today, I would say this is uh, almost mainstream research. Not, not really, but almost. And, and one of those pioneers was a guy called uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, who uh, uh, made a lot of, of contribution in this uh, research area the first 
couple of years. Mm. But today it's a big topic. So what it actually means is that you can change your genes, right, with your belief system by choosing what kind of, um, yeah, first of all, beliefs I hold, but also what kind of behavior do I choose daily and thereby steering evolution. I mean, it's... It's actually down to th thoughts. So it's uh, as basic as, as thoughts, actually. So uh, behavior, I guess we have known for a long time now, maybe 25, 30 years, I don't know how long. Um, but this research topic, uh, epigenetics, also not only suggests but also proves that uh, our belief system in, in, in terms of uh, thoughts and, uh, and feelings uh, changed the genes. Yeah, and, and I would like to, because what comes to my mind is, um, I have unfortunately forgotten the name, but uh, if, if you, uh, there's an experiment or... I think it's also an art collection, I think, from a Japanese uh, uh, man who visualized what happens if you say nice words to water, for example, or if you uh, uh, do say swear words to water. Mm. And what, it, what he shows in, in microscopic um, yeah, visualizations of the water cell structure is that whenever you choose to say a nice word it forms really nice looking crystals mm. and uh, if you swear to the water the cell structure changes over time to um, yeah um, I guess not so nice looking structure and I think here I bring this up in, in order to to make us aware of like the choices that we make they really have an effect mm. uh, not only on on how I relate to myself, how I relate to, to my people around me, to, yeah, even to my own biological evolution. Mm. Uh, and, and that is something which is really f interesting. And, well, it brought me to, my, brought me to the point where, where I'm, I'm trying to be much more aware of, of yeah, what I'm thinking, what I'm saying, mm. how I'm interacting with people. Yeah, and a lot of people don't, maybe don't, realize that the one person that they're having the most conversations with <laughs> is themselves and uh, that that is also of course interesting when when you when you realize this because then you then you can choose on the other sa side of, of that coin is if i then choose something that is not good for me then i'm the one to blame and this is the opposite to what we've been told because we've been told that uh, everything happened to us and um, I'm not to blame for my childhood or for my uh, my uh, marriage or for my uh, work situation or anything like that. But on the other hand, that story also um, disables us from, from actually making a choice. And this story now then enables us to do it. Uh, and if you then have the core belief or whatever we call it again, fundamental assumption that choice is connected to guilt then then you have a big problem there mm. and this is one of the fundamental assumptions i would say which is very very strong uh, in in many uh, societies today many families and that is that not only you get the the big uh, what should i call it 
uh, ability to to uh, change something when when you're responsible you also get the the blame for it when when it's not working or it didn't take you where you wanted and and, and that's a, a a big problem with with adding um, adding the possibility of choice hmm. i mean how can i say it with 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 as much empathy as i can is it's not surprising if you have this outside in perspective of I'm a victim of my circumstances, then I need to basically blame everybody else around me or the situation or whatever. Um, but at the same time, if you point, you know, a finger to somebody else, three fingers mm. point back to you. And we talked in, in, in the last uh, uh, program about the intentional decision model, actually about that in order to make a choice, we also need to have resources to make good choices or to make a choice actually in order mm -hmm. to be able to choose. And um, what I'm trying to get at is that, yeah, we, we need in a way an ethical framework in order to, to understand which directions we are choosing. Yes. And I would also like to add something else when, when we talk about this, because it's not only an ethical framework, it's also, it's also about even if there is a choice, uh, you're not always, uh, you don't always have the resources to, to use that uh, choice or, uh, or even the ability at all. Uh, for instance, um, again, when you were a child and something happened in, in your situation, you were not um, maybe even entitled into that context to, to even make another choice. Uh, because of your parents were the one that they were supposed to take those choices for you. And if you were in a dis dysfunctional family, uh, you couldn't do it. So we also have to have some kind of a, we can call it empathy, uh, but that has to be a part of that ethical framework that at that point, I, I didn't have the ability, for instance, as a child to, to make any other choices. Uh, first of all, I maybe don't, didn't realize that they were wrong. Uh, the situation may be, um, was the only one presented and how can then that be wrong and and in the next uh, step when I realized okay this is wrong even if I'm uh, the kid and, and the parents should know better uh, I realized that I can't change it because my parents are the one dictating my world or whatever it is but then we move into to to an adult age and then there is actually the the possibility to make another choice on, on how we describe ourselves and, and, and the belief system we choose from that point and forward. So at some level, you're always the sum of your choices, but never more than a new choice away from another life, hmm. which is also interesting in itself. <laughs> and again, if you add, add guilt to it, then you're stuck. Yeah, and especially coming back to what you said before, it's like how... how how many talks do we have with ourselves? How do we relate to ourselves? And do we also have guilt towards ourselves for not making decisions in the past that we now understand are, are more appropriate? And I think it's an unfair comparison, actually, because you're trying to compare something that you know now better with a older version of yourself that, that didn't have this understanding. So also have some empathy you know towards yourself in in that regard in your previous version of yourself yeah, yeah. 
I believe that is interesting. That's actually something I was thinking of this week, uh, because we have been talking about empathy as a as a possibility of um, putting yourselves into someone else's shoes, and that someone else could be a future version of yourself. But it could also be uh, a previous version of yourself, uh, which is, I believe, something that uh, not many people do. Uh, feeling grateful for for me in a previous version, uh, being uh, grateful for um, for uh, having uh, experiences, even if they're hard, uh, and embracing them. And um, that is also interesting. And again, this is connected to those fundamental assumptions, because again, if we are um, more or less victims of the genes, or victims of, um, of uh, the circumstances, things are happening to us, then there is nothing good we can make out of it. But if, if we realize that my choices not only define me, uh, but they also define me forward, that makes uh, me able to make a new choice and, and choose another fundamental assumption. We can we can have some examples of, of uh, assumptions uh, <laughs> that we maybe not are aware of, and, and one that is close to to the genes and the selfish gene is uh, that also leads to the fundamental assumption of competition. And we're brought up with competition as so, something that is good and developing, I guess. So what you're saying is that there's a gene for it, or no? Uh, but the selfish genes, uh, the selfish gene, is uh, the competitive gene. Mm. Uh, it's supposed to uh, reproduce on behalf of all the others. That is competition. Mm. So if you if you have that worldview. Um, about competition then then the selfish gene am amplifies it so, but again it's just a fundamental assumption so if we look at the nature for instance with the understanding of epigenetics or even if we have an understanding of of uh, something deeper behind we can't see it we can call it the soul or whatever something we can't see if there is something deeper on it or then we realize that when we look at nature, competition is not the answer any longer. Together will then be the answer. And competition, which was previously known as the, the, the dominant uh, behavior, is something that is, it still exists, but it's not dominant any longer. It's uh, almost something uh, extraordinary. Hmm. And I think it's so interesting because it, you can see everything in nature happening and if you you can of course argue that that certain species compete for the same resources for the same uh, food but then you also realize that they are all part of a, of a bigger eternal life cycle that maybe the the dying uh, that the the how can i say it? the uh, the lion that eats uh, uh, a gazelle that is part of the life, you know. Yeah, yeah, but it's not only that the lion eats the gazelle, um, because it, it also does other things. <laughs> it's not the only thing the the lion does. The lion also sleeps tonight and so on. So <laughs> I guess that it's um, the story behind it is limiting, uh, and it's also limiting ourselves in in terms of if we if we go for the uh, the genome is the answer. Um, then we are um, stuck in history also. Uh, it's more or less that we have a um, 
prehistoric brain. That is part of that explanation. And we can blame that for us being reactive or uh, having a certain type of behavior. Um, but that is not true on, on, a, on a broader level because from the point that you react, you actually have another choice. So reaction is the first uh, automatic response and then you choose how you should respond. Hmm. So responsibility is actually the ability to respond. Yeah, I think responsibility is is a huge word, especially if you if you come from the victim of circumstances uh, perspective, because then it it seems like almost overwhelming. And and I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience as well. I uh, I have been. Uh, yeah, stuck in a job that was depressive and, and disengaging. And and I guess after two months, I figured out that is not the right thing for me to do. And it still took me one and a half years in, in order to quit that job. Um, because I had beliefs from my parents, from, from the societal environment that I was brought up to is I can't allow myself to have a gap in my CV. Uh, that is bad for, for my reputation. Uh, I can't just quit a job after two months because I don't like it. I mean, how will people look at me? And, and, and yeah, all there were so many assumptions and beliefs that came up that I had to actually face and realize, are they my beliefs? Is this what I'm believing in? Or is it just that somebody else... You, you know, inherited or... or inherited, or, yeah. It, yeah. Uh, and I'm yeah. just living mm -hmm. up to that mm -hmm. expectation. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I mean, now I realize also like, yeah, I, I could blame myself for, for, you know, not getting out of this job earlier. But in some way, I needed to make this experience and have this time to process all of this in order to also understand, well, I still have the choice at the end of the day, how I react to it. Mm. And I chose a different path in my career right now where all these things that I just mentioned are not relevant anymore. Mm. And what um, mm. I'm trying to say here is that that of course it's responsibility and it's also looking at these experiences and seeing what is my role in this what is my part in this and uh, yeah sometimes it's it takes courage also to look at these situations and say well maybe i was part of the problem mm. maybe i was part of this situation and creating you're, this you're, situation you're, yeah and you were uh, part of the drama yeah yeah <laughs> you know wherever i went the problem went with me mm, and uh, mm. it didn't change by by changing jobs it's mm. it only changed after i looked at what are my beliefs mm. and and yeah created different experiences then for myself mm. so how 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 did you do to create a, another experience of yourself i mean the i would say most physical uh, solution was to find a different environment to put myself simply in, in, in a different environment where um, I was hoping different beliefs would be appreciated or different uh, uh, ways of working would be appreciated and after I realized this is not the case I realized I have to create these environments myself because I couldn't find, how can I say it? I couldn't find work environments that related actually to what I was hoping to see in a workplace. 
uh, and that I guess has led me to this point and then to these explorations about um, what is what is a life affirming workplace actually? How mm. does it look like? How how can we create such a thing? And what is the benefit for the person uh, working in that um, mental well being um, mm. and so on? And and how is this? Um, yeah, mental well-being, but also, you know, feeling joyful at work, being in, in creator mode. How is this actually contributing to the organizational mm-hmm. um, growth and, and profit? Um, so, yeah, this is what I started to do. I just had to create the, these environments myself. Mm. Yeah, and that is uh, typically uh, another <laughs> assumption. Uh, a lot of the assumptions we have been brought up with, with at least in the Western world, is that... Um, we should prepare ourselves to 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 have a, an employment somewhere. That was at least the the, the story I was told, and uh, for me that meant that I studied a lot. <laughs> so I was into ac- the academia for many years, and uh, and uh, the first uh, first part of the story was that knowledge was was everything. Then I realized that that wasn't enough. I also needed experience. But today I would say I've come to a point where I realized that if the knowledge is the dots and the experience is the connection of the dots, then how do I want to connect them? Hmm. What do I make out of it? That's the journey I've been on, on, on uh, uh, relating to, to uh, the story of... Uh, yeah, the story of how life is created. Either I had to prepare myself to, to face the, the future, to, to find a job and um, being in, in, as you said, a work environment which was probably not either fulfilling me or me fulfilling the workplace. So it was twofolded. Mm. Uh, or I, I had to, had, I wanted to create... <laughs> Uh, an environment by myself and uh, that is that is one way of course of doing it another one is to to build into the system that is that you can bring as much as yourself into the work situation as possible that's another assumption you could have uh, creating a, an organization or as you call it a working environment uh, you put into the design of, of the organization that people can bring as much of themselves into the organization as possible Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is what I would recommend everybody to do in in the first place now now as well. Still, at some point, you have to realize if you do that Mm -hmm. and it's not appreciated in the environment you are in, then it's probably not the best relationship that you can have Mm. with your work, with your colleagues, because you will always... Probably with yourself, if if you... Because you will feel it at some point that it, this is not so sufficient mm. or satisfying on you mm. for you on many and I, levels. I, yeah, definitely. And, and I would say right now that we, a lot of the assumptions that we have made for society and for our organizations and for our own lives are being challenged. Um, challenged on many levels. And for me, it's a great opportunity actually to to see that, okay, so this assumption led us, led us to this point. We can be grateful for that and we can make a new choice. 
how do we build our organizations, on what values or on what principles, on what stories. What are the stories we tell ourselves every day when we look in the mirror? What are the stories we tell our children? How do we build a society where learning is a part of day-to-day -day life? Not something you do in the first part of your life and then you apply it to the rest of your life. Um, how can we not only adopt to adapt or adopt to, um, to change, but also drive change? How can we look at uncertainty and say, wow, it holds possibilities? That's also an assumption. When we looked into uh, to that a couple of days ago um, in, in a workshop, we, we talked about um, uncertainty because we have been told that uncertainty is something that is bad. It's something you should reduce and you should handle it. Either by strategic measures or by um, reducing factors or stuff like that. But what if we could use uncertainty? Because in times of big change lies also the biggest potential. So right now the world is in, in a tremendously huge <laughs> potential. Mm. And it's so ironic, I think. I mean, it's first of all, it's it's a great opportunity, as you say. But when I when I look at the the people and organizations that that I have in on my awareness, uh, then then I'm seeing basically two kind of poles. The one pole is the the ones going into fear and then going into uh, um, closing down. Closing down, basically. And, and if they are not already completely broken down, because uh, everything that is not sustainable is mm. breaking down right now. And on the other hand, there are people like you and, and organizations like, uh, yeah, we can say Emprogage as well, uh, very adoptable, very flexible organizations that are actually thriving in these kind of environments, thriving mm, in these kinds mm. of crisis. Uh, mm. I mean... I think I think crisis. I I often hear the word Corona crisis, and uh, and I'm thinking like, why don't we call it Corona opportunity? Hmm. I mean, for many you, people, it's a crisis, but yeah. for the other other, other parts of you know, there's another yeah. group of people yeah, who really but, see but, it but as we must have, we must then then be careful because uh, right now people are losing uh, their jobs, uh, people are, are are losing their relatives, uh, people are dying, so we have to be cautious about where we've again where we put the focus and I would say that doesn't limit uh, the possibilities hmm. that only that only reduces it even more if we look at it as, as only a crisis then we have reduced it um, I can take for example the the case I have been into with with uh, my family and my my daughter my first born daughter who died when she was 14 months uh, old and that could of course in one direction be only bad and that is at some level only bad but from that point forward you can also say okay so what good did it bring how can I amplify that so if I go for the first solution uh, everything was uh, for nothing and I lost everything but then it also reduces reduce what I had together with my daughter so if I go in the other direction if I maximize that direction more or less, I would say how much how how can I create as much meaning as possible from her life? That is actually embracing all that I actually 
learned and which is pretty much everything I do today. So all, all the knowledge that I have I've, uh, gained in the last 13 years have been related in some way to my firstborn daughter's born life and death. Hmm. That is extremely interesting. And how can I maximize that? How can I bring as much meaning into this as possible? Yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't want to bring this up to, to create some separation, but I think it's it's just interesting pattern to observe. Mm -hmm. And then I think we realize with this situation uh, that we are really at the crossroads on so many levels. And, and, on, and the, at the crossroad, you have the choice. Mm -hmm. And it, it couldn't be more simply go right or go left. Mm. Which way do you want to choose? Mm. That reminds me of uh, of this uh, sketch or scene with uh, uh, John Cleese and so on, where they're, I don't remember what movie it was, uh, Fisco Wanda maybe, where they're driving a car and, and uh, he says, go left, right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they went right. And so, so even if you're into right, uh, uh, shall we go left? You're right, right. <laughs> so so you have to be cautious again because the uh, even if you're in in a, in a crossroad um, maybe it's not so easy to see which one which way leads to what mm. and if you have been going in one direction for a very long time the response will probably be in a reactive mode into that direction so you really have to steer yourself and, and switch focus and be congruent in, in your new choices. Uh, create not only behaviors, um, you should create patterns, habits that take you next time you get reactive into a new, a new direction or, or the new direction that you have chosen. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, it's easily said. Uh, I mean, it's easy to say it and it could be easy to do it. But it could also be hard to do it, so you have to, yeah, be cautious again. What is the the, the direction I'm choosing here? Hmm. And uh, I mean, reminded of what you, what you always say. So sorry for stealing your words. It's like uh, you know, the new way is is hard for for a while, and then becomes easy because hmm. you get adapted to making choices over and over again, and then it becomes a habit, and uh, at some point, habits become a paradigm and. Hmm. Yeah, mm. so I think that's an interesting way of, of yeah. So the what crossroad itself, choosing? yeah. So the crossroad itself is a little. We can use the word problematic, even if it holds possibilities and a potential, because we're not used to it. So if, if for instance, if you quit smoking, you still have a habit you have to deal with. Even if you quit smoking, you have some kind of okay. I, I used to have something in my hand, mm. or you whatever you leaving very often when we are at crossroads we need to leave something of a lower level to get be able to to make a new choice on, on a higher level yeah and i think that that is something where trust comes in again mm. because you don't know what will emerge when you let go of something mm. but you have to first let go of something in order for to make room for something else to emerge and that can be a scary thing in itself if you're not used to do it. Mm. Um, to letting go of things, to, to not holding on to old habits, old possessions, whatever. Mm. 
very often we say that uh, no, at least I know what I have. <laughs> uh, but there are many stories you can have as uh, examples of uh, that not being val valid. One thing is the the. Uh, uh, HR person saying to the CEO, what if we uh, uh, give this education or a pro educational program to this employee and they quit? Yes, says the CEO, but what if uh, we don't and, and they stay? Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, we can find, we can find new stories that take us for forward. And of course, when we choose a new assumption, a new truth, that will probably... We will, I don't know how to put this, but we are unused to it in the beginning. At the crossroad, it will feel a little bit awkward. And maybe that's something we also can use when we're, when we're tired of a, or we want to leave a certain assumption. That could be a good way to, to realize that I'm on a new track, that it feels a little bit awkward. Mm. <laughs> I'm stepping in into new... Uh, in, new stepways or uh, I stumble a little or uh, it feels a little bit strange when I put my feet on the, on, on the ground. It doesn't feel like it used to be. Or, and, uh, yeah, and It I doesn't have to be uncomfortable, just awkward. No, I, th I think we have, I'm, I'm just realizing that we might have a, um, a strange view of, of making a choice in, in some level because we believe that once we make the choice, it is our new reality. But what you're suggesting is, of course, you have to make a choice at the crossroad. But then with every step in a, in a different direction, you have to reinforce this choice. And this mm. might feel a little bit like wobbly, a little bit like oh, shaky because you're not used to it. But by every step that you're taking forward, you're reinforcing that choice. And that is mm. important. So it's like a continuous process of, of mm. uh, habitualizing uh, the choice. Yeah, and that's interesting in many uh, at many levels and uh, maybe a choice could be something we could dig into into some of the coming programs and have that uh, as the main topic because now we are talking about a lot of fundamental assumptions and, yeah. and, and there are probably many more of them and and maybe we should dig into the choice itself and its connection to to whatever it is behind the choice consciousness or whatever mm. so maybe we should take that into a, a program of itself yeah mm. i think, think that's that? yeah that's a good great way and uh, um yeah do you have anything else that yeah. you would like to say for for fundamental assumptions yeah i, I can bring on uh, some stuff here um when you start realizing that you've actually a lot of fundamental assumptions. You can you can sit down and, and, and write down things I hold as true on one side of the list. And then you can think of, can I do a new assumption on the same topic? For instance, learning. One, one way of looking at learning is that it's something that I, that I have to learn from someone else in a book uh, or I have to read something or I have to go to a course or... Another assumption is, uh, is uh, that learning is something that I can put into any experience. And uh, that will mean that we could actually learn from each other. And we could also learn together. 
And what would that do, that assumption, if I change that assumption from, from again outside in, something that I have to get from someone, a knowledge or whatever it is, to something we create together. What would happen if I do that and put myself into that learning situation? How would such a learning situation look like? Hmm. And then you can go to the next. Okay, so this topic is about parenting, say. Or this is about leadership, or this topic is about, and this is the assumption I have. Can I make another assumption? And what would that assumption look like? And what would happen if I put myself into that assumption? If I really embrace that, how would that situation then, or that context that I that I mean, really look like? And I think what you're describing here is not only the process, but actually a very applicable tool of how to do it, actually, is by... For example, writing it down. What are my assumptions for a specific topic? Um, can I, you know, visualize them? And then by doing that, I'm already stepping, mm. you know, in, in front of it or yeah. behind it. We, we can take some examples here. For, 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 for instance, we have right now, we have seen a lot of organizations that have said to their employees, you can work from home. I know workplaces that I've been into that, the fundamental assumption was that work is something you do at the workplace. End. <laughs> that was like, period. <laughs> and as long as we hold that maxim for truth, we will probably not be able to, to work from any other place. I couldn't work from the coffee shop or I couldn't work from, from my, uh, um, I don't know, from my holiday or from wherever I was. I had to be at work at a certain time and leaving at another certain time and I couldn't do anything else that is, was called work outside those working hours. And on the other side, I couldn't do any private stuff either in that working hours. Isn't that really odd when you talk about it and think about it? And, and then if you apply that uh, into this list, it would say uh, work can only be done on the workplace between, say, 9 and 5. Can I make another assumption? Work can be done on any place at any time. Do I want to do it on any time? No, I don't want to do it in the nights. I don't want to do it when my kids are home, but I can do it from other places. And I, at some time periods, maybe in a very intense work period, I could dedicate another couple of hours that day. But on the other hand, it also makes me able to, okay, so this lunch is a three hour lunch out in the sun when the sun is shining or whatever it is. So it moving from one assumption to another makes new possibilities, but also new, new limitations, of course. Hmm. So I have to choose which limitations and, 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 uh, and possibilities I want to have from each choice on, on that fundamental level. Yeah. And you're back again to first of all choosing but second of all envisioning and dreaming up like what would my ideal work day look like mm. uh, what are the circumstances i can work what what are you know maybe non-negotiable times where mm. i would like to spend time with my family with my kids and and say well I, i'm not reachable mm. and you know Nobody really says, I think nowadays, when when we are really having the opportunity to be knowledge workers and we don't have to be at the 
production plant at a certain amount of hours in a specific time, uh, it opens up a lot of opportunities. And at the same time, we have to find a way of, if we, for example, work together as colleagues, what is an appropriate time for you to be reached? What mm. is an appropriate time for me to be reached? And mm. we have to find an agreement that mm. that we can both... And that could be, yeah, and that could be uh, different agreements with different persons and mm. different situations even. Uh, right now, we're here in, in this uh, dialogue. It's after normal working hours. <laughs> That's a choice we made. And it enables us to do it. And that's interesting itself. And which means that uh, um, tomorrow morning I will probably have a longer sleep. <laughs> and it enables also, yeah, not only us doing this, but also having a context where there is no nothing knocking on the door at the end of this uh, dialogue saying you have to have to be finished, uh, you have to finish it now, it has to be done before blah 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 and so on. So we have um, a realm of, of possibilities that we have chosen together. That Okay, so if we do those podcasts, we need approximately 40 to one hour of, of podcasting time. But what if we're into something and it go, takes one and a half hour? That's perfectly okay. And what if we don't have anything to say to each other for 30 minutes, then then, then it's okay too. Then we have a very silent podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have one uh, one episode uh, called Silence. Hmm. I think that would be an interesting choice to make. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, thank you very much, Jens, for those uh, interesting uh, ideas on, on fundamental assumptions. Yeah, I feel um, like we put out a lot of assumptions that we have encountered in, in our mm. experiences in our life and um, yeah I mean I can only say to all the listeners and viewers this is an invitation to to sit down uh, especially now in these times of corona opportunities to you know reflect a little bit on, on what are my fundamental assumptions uh, how would I like to be them how would I like to choose, ideally? And, I mean, I can only speak from my personal experience and I can only say that this journey has been really eye-opening on, on some level, but also very inspiring, you know, very interesting. And then listen to, you know, and, and observing with a very curious mind of what is emerging there and what is what is actually beliefs and assumptions that i would like to choose for myself and yeah mm. i can only say it has come to to very interesting and uh, uh point mm. yeah and uh, at some point in life you get this again events whatever it is that trigger you maybe to to think of new ways of doing things, new ways of thinking, new ways of working, whatever it is. And right now we're experiencing such a such an event worldwide together. So it gives again the opportunity, grown opportunity, I like that. Uh, again with a humble um, humble uh, thought to, to those who are facing re really difficulties uh, and at the same time uh, also embracing the opportunities that we can seize in, in those in those uh, 
growing opportunities. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's something I really look forward to because I feel like in these times a lot of systems are breaking down or at mm. least are the systemic issues are brought up to the surface and it gives us the chance to deal with it because I see a lot of suffering on a personal level resulting out of, of, of systems that we have designed in the past based on different assumptions that may have which purpose may have is no longer serving us mm. and uh, yeah this is something I'm looking forward to and, and I think that touches a little bit also on, on one of the dimensions proactivity again how can we now use these insight these learnings to create resilience for mm. the future mm. and um, yeah I think we will also have a, an episode on on these uh, dimensions uh, in particular where we look into like how what is actually proactivity how can we use it to our advantage um, yeah mm. I think that's something I'm personally looking forward to mm -hmm. so thank you very much um, if you listen to this podcast or watch the stream on, on YouTube um, Please uh, subscribe to the channel, and if you want to support us, uh, please go to uh, patreon.com, best for the world, and help us um, forward um, for making those uh, pods and, and uh, webcasts. Yeah. So uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, uh, will we say thanks for now, and welcome back to FIDE. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Intentional, making decisions, intentional, making decisions, 